You're listening to Rick Kleffel, the Agony Column podcast. You can find additional reviews, interviews, print interviews, and book commentary five days a week at trashotroncom agony. Azar Nafisi is the author of Reading Lolita and Tehran and Things I've Been Silent About. Her new book is The Republic of Imagination, America in Three Books. Thank you for speaking with me, Azar. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for talking to me. This is a fabulous book, a cry, a call to arms for readers. It be, has this fabulous introduction. I'd like you to talk about the three books that you chose to address in this book. Let's start right off with Huck Finn, which was the one that seemed to be kind of the inception point for the whole project. Um, well, I chose Huck Finn because um, I was, uh, you know, really concerned about our system of education. There was so, so much focus and emphasis on vocation, but not on passion, commitment, meaning, dedication, all the things that I think a great education uh, should offer the children of this country. And uh, I started thinking about how American fiction, at least to my mind, creates a sort of a moral background and, 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 and reveals to us um, uh, both America's strengths and weaknesses. And I chose Huck Finn because Huck Finn, I believe, is the sort of uh, what I would like to call a literary or a fictional declaration of independence. Um, it offers us new characters, a new perspective, and a new situation, which is very American, which has nothing to do with um, Europe or, you know, coming from Europe. And also it uh, creates a fantastic landscape uh, and a great uh, new language. Uh, and I thought that um, Finn should be the first. One of the things you just said, it creates a fantastic landscape. I'd agree, and I, I want to follow up on that comment a little bit because I think one of the things that literature can do so well is to take what most people perceive as reality and then just even just by viewing it through another character's eyes, you can look at something you see every day and see it completely anew. And I think that's what Huck Finn does. And that's what you do for both America and Huck Finn at the same time in the first part of this book. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned it. That's a wonderful insight. Not about my book. I mean about Huck Finn. <laughs> you put your finger right on the mark. Because Huck Finn, one of the most important things that he does, and I mention it in the book, that uh, he misspells the word civilize. So from C, it is changed to an S. And that is what he does to all the words that we habitually use. Because I think one of the most important things you pointed out about fiction is the fact that it helps us see the world through the alternative eyes of others and, and uh, throw away the habit and the routine which sort of creates a dust over our eyes so we don't see clearly. And, and, and uh, Huck Finn, in a sense, um, uh, sets up uh, certain moral standards for us. Um, for what we call American individualism, because through reading Huck Finn, I discovered American individualism is not about this is a doggy dog world and each of us for ourselves and uh, all we need is to have material success. Huck Finn is about connections, that Huck Finn um, finds his moral ground through his relationship with Jim. 
and and through connecting to Jim and through empathizing with Jim. Uh, so, uh, you know, it is a wonderful um, insight uh, into the American dream if you don't take the material side of it. Sinclair Lewis was uh, quite adept at looking at the American dream. Wouldn't really mm-hmm. call his visions dreams, though. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about Babbitt. Oh, Babbitt. You know, again, you know, this time when I was reading uh, the books for my, um, for, for the book that I, uh, that was just published, I realized how many of um, the American authors, especially in 19, at the end of 19th century and the beginning of 20th, were trying to create a new reality which had not existed before. I mean, uh, Sinclair Lewis in 1922, that is when Babbitt was published, he, he created created for us uh, a character that is very, very new. He is the father of consumer society, in a sense. And, and he created a language for Babbitt that is still uh, sort of prevalent among people who think like Babbitt, because Babbitt is everything that Huck is not. We can call him an anti-Huck. Uh, he is materialistic. When he talks about his vision, it is about selling real estate um, at a price to people um, that is unrealistic and that people cannot afford it. When his uh, poor, uh, overworked um, assistant complains uh, and, and wants a raise, he calls him a moocher. He tells him, don't you want to be a true patriot and work hard in your life? Do you want to mooch around all night? Uh, it reminds me of job creators and takers and, and, and the kind of terminology uh, we use uh, today about these matters. And, I, and conformity, standardization of thought is the worst thing that could happen to a democratic society. And that is the main theme of Babbitt, standardization of thought. You know, it strikes me that both of these characters are, in a sense, what I would call predicting the present. Uh huh. Yes. <laughs> yes. But they have to to like view the present through this alternate uh, perspective to give us a sense of what's actually happening around us because we're too busy with our own lives to really get it ourselves. That is a fantastic way of putting it. And, and, you know, when you read great works of art, you're amazed at how much of not just the reality uh, when it happened in the past, but of our reality in the present, um, they reveal to us. And, and, I, and I think that is because, as you mentioned, fiction goes beyond the appearances. And, and fiction takes us to places. I mean, that is what where the Republic of Imagination is. It is in our own backyard. Everyone has access to the Republic of Imagination. Um, when you read these books, uh, you discover not what happened in 1800s or early, 19, uh, early 20th century. You discover what is happening to you. You look at yourself new eyes. And in Babbitt, I wanted to remind ourselves that it is, you know, we laugh at Babbitt and we make fun of him, but Babbitt is also us. We also queue up early morning at the Apple store to find the new gadget. Um, we also are in love with, with the latest um, fashion in the, you know, that technology offers us. And, and, and we also 
want comfort as opposed to looking at the complexities of life and, and becoming restless. Uh, so we should not just laugh at Babbitt. We should look, look at ourselves as well. A great way for anyone to look at themselves is to read Carson McCullers, who so <laughs> saw so deeply into our souls, not always to our happiness and joy. Oh, yes. It, it, it was an amazing experience. Uh, I had read her in college, but this time when I reread her, I realized, you know, uh, she was 22, I believe, when the novel was published. And for a girl that young to have such insight into the hearts of, and minds of American people, because she chooses these characters who are all what we call marginals in the society. And she shows that when people have a passion that they cannot articulate or that the society is indifferent towards, uh, they become so isolated, so lonely. They live in their own cocoons. And the only way they connect to is to a deaf man. But their saving grace is also having that passion. Uh, Carson McCullers talks about uh, Jake Blonde, Dr. Copeland, and Nick, the three main characters in this book, as people who are givers. They want to give something of themselves. And that is where the hope lies for them, although it's just a glimmer of hope. But that is where the hope is. Well, for you, the hope lies in not just reading, but rereading these books. I think that's an important part. And so I'd like to talk about rereading James Baldwin. Ah, oh, James Baldwin is one of my, my perhaps greatest find. Uh, of course, when I uh, decided that I want to begin with Mark Twain, I somehow um, had imagined that I want to end with James Baldwin. First of all, I wanted to end this book in 1960s because I felt after 1960s so many things changed in this country, politically, socially, as well as in terms of in literary terms, and it calls for a different kind of a book. Uh, James Baldwin um, explains that transition from the pre-civil rights society to post-civil rights society. Uh, he was a great activist in the civil rights, but more than anything else, he was a dedicated writer, and he kept saying that. And he said that he was neither just simply an African-American writer or a gay writer. He was a writer. And what he offers to us is both a new perspective um, into uh, America, again, a new language, which is a mixture of the Bible, Negro spirituals, and Henry James and Charles Dickens. He creates a new language out of this uh, to, to explain a new character. Uh, John Grimes in Go Tell It on the Mountain um, is, is a completely uh, new character um, in the history of American fiction. Um, and, and, and Baldwin is fantastic with that. Every time I read him, you know, my heart breaks. But at the same time, I feel um, very hopeful and joyous uh, that such things as Baldwin's books and essays can happen. Azar Nafisi's new book is The Republic of the Imagination, America in Three Books. Thank you for speaking with me, Azar. Thank you. I very much enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. You're listening to Rick Kleffel, the Agony Column podcast. You can find additional reviews, interviews, print interviews, 
and book commentary five days a week at trashotroncom agony.